The, the Satana. Oh. Uh, do you like? Do you want to incorporate that into the introduction, or what do you mean? Spoilers. Check. Mature language. Check. Viewers beware. Check. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine, and with me is... Mr. Fix-It. And Diablo Frank. In today's episode, we're looking at Vampire Tales. What issue number is this? Mine is a little bit rat-eaten. What, what do you think did that to that cover? Do you think that's, like, mold or, or vermin or what? Time. It might just be plain old time. It's very brittle around the edges. Uh, it's a 1973 issue, number volume one, number two. And hey, look, there's a picture of Bela Lugosi. I bet that was in the public domain. That's why they get away with it. The reason why we picked up this book is because it features, on page 47, Satana introducing the devil's daughter, the most exciting new character concept of the year. Mr. Fixit, do you want to give the story synopsis for this first Satana offering? Oh, the potential rape? Well, yeah, just... Yeah, that was so... It. Thanks for that, Mr. <laughs> Fixit. Well, no, I mean, I asked for... Frank, if this was the Marvel version of uh, Heavy Metal or Epic, was Epic Well, Marvel? first you asked me why I was reading Vampirella comics. Well, yeah, I thought it was Vampirella. Well, it does look like Vampirella from the outside. The story starts with a young lady gently walking down the street. It seems to be very late at night or very early in the morning. Who can tell with the shading? The city, New York, Manhattan, the Big Apple, three miles wide, ten miles long, and nearly two million people, not all whom are nice. And again, this is a very short story, and it, it has kind of a first two minutes of law and order feel to it. We're going to have a crime scene and everyone's going to pop up because she's walking through the street. She's all alone. Completely silent pages. Yeah. The dude looks just raked as hell. He's gnarly. Actually, I thought it was and Solomon I, like, Grundy. Literally gnarly. When like, I was reading this, I thought it was Solomon Grundy until he started speaking because he kind of had that Solomon Grundy he's, look. He's not that big. He's just got that the kind hair. of complexion. Yeah. Zombie-ish. And, and he kind of looks like he'd sound like Solomon Grundy. Yeah. Solomon Grundy, I want to rape a woman. <laughs> Well, well, Solomon Grande, he likes it. He don't mind it. They don't fight, but he like a little fight in them, as he puts it here. Uh, he actually says something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, apparently he's done this quite a few times because this one's going to be more fun because she hasn't spoken yet, which I guess he's getting off to. There's a part where he says, still no talk, huh? Well, that's all right by me, but I don't care if you want to fight me a little. And then she, of course, responds, why should I? And she's, I guess, in her, is that what we consider a superhero outfit? I think that's a 1970s Club 54 kind of outfit. She's basically wearing the proto. Madeline Pryor Demon Queen where it's a diamond cut at the center of the dress she's got like under boob showing and then it's cut towards pointing an arrow toward where he wants to put things Yeah, her whole midsection is exposed in this diamond cut I do have a question now there's a scene where she's kissing him and he's whoa like she wants it and he's getting into it she's draining him of I'm, I'm guessing his life essence yeah he becomes a desiccated corpse rather quickly and I noticed this through the stories you got us to read the soul turns into a butterfly yeah a moth like lo- it looks like a little butterfly to me it's hard yeah. Because these are black and white comics, so it's hard to tell. And she pulls and it out of his, his mouth. mouth, which seems to be a running theme, theme through yeah. the books. This is how she nourishes Feeds. herself. Well, what does she actually say? So this is the point where he's already drained. She reaches into his mouth. Just as I want this small and wiggling thing you call your soul, there won't be a next time for you, little man. But if there were, I'd advise you not to pick on Santana. Satana? The devil's daughter. No, it looks like Santana. You drop an N on there. Suddenly it's Satana. Satana? So Satana. And of course her hair, I like the way it does like little horns, so it gives you a hint at that. Mm. I kind of actually like the story. I thought 
thought it was pretty cool. It caught me off guard because I wasn't sure what we were reading. And if you go to the very back, you can see this little pinup shot of her, too. If she was Santana, the old guy would be Rob Thomas. <laughs> well, I hear you whispering words melt everyone, but you stay so cool. <laughs> trying to rape. They bring up Morbius. Well, Morbius is in the magazine, too, but yeah. I'm pointing out... So was this all, like an all-vampire type thing? It was all vampire tales. Marvel magazine. But see, she has, like, a cape. Like well, she, in the pinup cape, shot, yeah. she has a cape. Yeah, well, she, I mean, they don't really show her in well, a even costume. a tail. The cape turns into a little bit of a tail, I think. It does right there. Yeah. It's got like a little point to it, like Nightcrawler's tail. Yeah. But I don't think she actually supposed to have a tail. I think that's just design element of the costume. But yeah, you never see her... Do you ever see her in full costume in the story? No. Satana, the devil's daughter, the first full-fledged saga of the most starling she-demon of all. So this this is the first appearance of Satana, and I do agree with you. I think that Vampirella probably had a hand in influencing this character, but she's clearly a bit darker than Vampirella. So is this the sister of Hellstorm? She mentions a brother. It's Damon Hellstrom. Okay. Or it's the Hellstrom, I should Hellstrom. say. Hellstrom, okay. Yeah. Okay, I was wondering. because. So what happened is Warren Publications had come to the same conclusion that Bill Gaines at Mad Magazine had. If the Comic Code Authority and distribution networks wouldn't carry their more mature skewing stories, they would just do big black and white magazines and skirt the comic code altogether even though they're obviously still producing sequential art comics they just reformatted it and they were able to get around those problems so Warren made a bunch of money off of doing horror books just like the EC books from the 50s but doing them in the late 60s and through the 70s as these magazines and Marvel saw they were making money and as we've discussed in the past Martin Goodman and Stan Lee were big time bandwagon hoppers and they saw that opportunity to make some money they wanted to do some as well so at one point they either renamed or they partnered with a magazine group which I think is in the Indicio on here. How did this book get published, man? Because it's a lot of Satan this, Satan that. This is unambiguously a Marvel book. They've got it listed as the Marvel Monster Group with Morbius reading comic book shaped logo. It kind of looks like Easy Reader from the Spidey Super Stories. But they at times they would use a different name. But once I guess they realized they were established and the code wasn't going to give them any problems for reformatting, they just went by their own names. But yeah, so they, so they would do these horror stories and especially once they started things like the Conan, Savage Sword of Conan, yeah, they realized they could have some boobies in there and make it a little bit more racy and play to older audiences. It's, it's one of the things that we complain about a lot in comics these days, about how comics aren't for kids anymore and they're too mature. And one of the things that was nice about these magazines is they were a clear point of demarcation from the standard comics. You could read the comics for the kids and as you got older and were more interested in half-naked women and violence and semi-salty language, you would just graduate up to the Harris magazines, the Marvel black and white mags, heavy metal, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you could grow up with the comics, but you had this separation between the kids' comics and the teens' comics. So that's what this was. And uh, this is exactly like the Tiger story we read uh, a while back. That you know They could get away with more stuff, so they did this darker, more sophisticated storytelling. But this is super brief. I mean, this is just barely a tease. This is, this is like a teaser trailer for a story as opposed to a true full appearance. And was this uh, Englehart and... John Romita? Who wrote that? Uh, Agnew Roy Thomas. Who? Oh, Roy Thomas. Yeah. I love this John Romita artwork. Oh, it's freaking fantastic. And, and Satana just looks luscious. You know, she looks fantastic. I mean, imagine John Romita drawing the Goblin Queen from X-Men. You mm-hmm. know, that, that's not a bad image at all. And it's funny, too. It's a black and white magazine. There's a, at no point in this magazine do you see color. But you just know she's got red hair, right? Just yeah. from looking at her. She nah, kind of looks I like Mary that, Jane. I actually pictured her being very pale. Could be. So, Mac, her story continues to issue number 
number three. Do you want to do the synopsis for that one? So this story is uh, it's another Satana story. It takes place in Los Angeles. She basically comes across a group of Satanists. And then as she's talking to the Satanists, Bernie Sanders comes out and starts screaming at them. <laughs> And he appears to be some sort of Jesus freak. And he's all, you people are all Satan bad, Jesus good. And then it turns out he's being recorded. He's like, did you get that take? Did that sound good? Right? Like he's doing it all from the freaking camera. It's pretty cool. So then Satana turns full Satana and like tells all these uh, Satan people to come with. She befriends one of the Satanists, takes her back to her apartment. She reveals that she has a, oh no. And then of course she, she takes a break. She's like, damn, I got a feed. So she pulls over some dude. Well, you kind of skipped where she used one of her powers, right? Where she hypnotized the whole yeah, crowd, and the crowd and made him walk away. Way, and but, that's what fascinated the Satan. The... I'm just going to read this. Well, uh, by, uh, the impression I was under was wasn't this like an angry mob about to go after the Satanists? Yeah. And she's like, stop. And they just stopped. And that's oh, how she that's showed the power of Satan. I yeah. Thought she, I thought it was the Satanist that she had to come with her. The power of Satan compels you. Because well, I guess power. they're these are just slowly introducing her different powers. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from being apparently a succubus and telling people to stop, does she have any other powers? No. Yeah, I think she has some super. I hope she can teleport because it'd be really weird for her to fly a plane from New York to Los Angeles. I just watching her walk through an airport would be kind of disheartening. Anyway, so she she catches this dude who's like an accountant or something walking by. She's like. Man, come to me. I want you to come to me to kiss me. Satana calls you, man. Will you answer her call? The guy's like, what the hell? He's a good man, gentleman, a fine husband and father. But within him lurks a seed of desire, a weakness of the flesh we all deny, but which some cannot refuse. And she goes back. I guess whenever she's commanding people, they've got a different font, right? Well, I figured that... Do not ask what or why. Come to me. Come. And then she starts just freaking sucking this dude's life force out. But I got a question. So do the victims have to give themselves willingly to her and she just has to find that little bit of seed of evil in them to uh I, i'm guessing it's one of those things because they make a point of telling you this is a good guy he's a family yeah. man he doesn't get into any trouble but she was able to reach that part of him that wanted to make the humpty hump and uh and he couldn't it. stop yeah he, 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 the power of the pussy just compelled him to give himself up to her Oh, yeah, I forgot we can fucking cuss. Cool. And then, yeah, then so then she takes the butterfly out of his mouth. Super weird. There's got to be some more, some sort very, of... Very, very, uh... I'm not getting about that. Very Silence of the Lambs. It's weird to me because it reminds me, and I, and I know that this was much later, but remember how Psylocke's emanations, her psychic yeah. power was yeah. manifested by the butterfly? And then she dresses like Madeline Pryor. I'm wondering if maybe Chris Claremont had revisited this stuff around that point in time and just, like, started, you know, bringing back all this material from... Because you remember he wrote... Did he write one of the Tiger stories? Oh, no, he did Let Lady Demon. Lady Lady Damon. Lady yeah. Damon. Damon. So maybe he was just like tossed through his old black and whites like, hey, I did a pretty good job of that story. I'm not going to reuse it or anything, but hey, that costume design was worth revisiting. Hey, that butterfly thing is worth playing up again. So anyway, so we come back to Bernie Sanders and he's all like, we want to get rid of the Satana chick. She's freaking me out. So basically, what, what is the dude's actual name? Don't think of his name. Something Gotham. No, I thought Gotham was the guy that he goes and... No, that's not Bernie Sanders. No, it's Gotham. Because uh, no. I, I, I thought it was kind of a DC swipe because his name is Gotham and they talk about the Dark Knight, I think, at one point. or Darko Edge was the hitman, whatever Gotham is Bernie the, the Manic Street Preacher. Yeah. So anyway, they come back to uh, Satana with that one other voluptuous chick, and they're at Satana's creepy-ass apartment where they're burning, like, incense and they're demons and shit. And lots of uh, satanic imagery on the walls. I'm sure her landlord loves that. So anyway, she reveals that she's got some Satan mark on her shoulder and that she had talked to Satan in one of her dreams. Well, like, I don't think what? she knew he was Satan. He was just like a man in her dream. No, no, no. I thought she said it was Satan. No, she no, did. Was- she said it was Satan and that he, he gave her a mark. And then Satana goes, oh, I have that mark, but I, it's because I'm his daughter. I, I thought Satana was the one who was thinking that's the mark of Satan. No, she says, that's the mark of Satan. But she says, uh, it's something 
because this is this girl's already on board with the big S. She's yeah. down with Satan. So when she says it's something that happened to me, a dream in which he came to me and touched me. Oh, that was like the he, like the way yeah. he put, uh, put a big uh, capital H he. Yeah. He said, "I remember it so clearly. One day you will serve me. Your life will leave you and be yours forever." Do you have any idea what that means? And she's like, "I don't know. Let me call up Dad." And she tries to summon him because she's got all these answers. While she's trying to summon and talk to Satan, the hitmen break in and they're like, "We're supposed to make." Oh, this is some creepy stuff too. And she's like, "Oh, Ruth, is that you?" He's like, "No, woman, it's not Ruth. It's your executioner, Satana. What's going on?" And the guy's like, uh, "The girl's awake, Doctor Edge. What shall we do with her?" And he says, uh, "We'll concern ourselves with her after we deal with this one. Remember, my friend, it's look like a ritualistic killing. I'll enjoy this. She's quite a beautiful victim, don't you think?" And then, uh, what do you call it? The Satan's disciple lady tries to dive in front of the hitman. She takes a clunk on the back of the head, which kills her. And then Satana just crushes these dudes. That's why I think she has super strength. She grabs the dude's wrist and basically breaks it. But she's and, so slow, though. And then, uh, well, no, no. Him. What they make a point of saying is that she hesitates for half a second, and that's time enough for these guys to kind of rush past her. But I figured she'd be pulling that trick. You know, she snaps her fingers, time stops, or something. Well, we don't know that she's got she that power. Have that power, bro. She hesitated for half a second, which was long enough for these one of these guys to slip past her and whack the roommate satan buddy on the head mm. uh, and and then she starts breaking their fucking bones which is what was supposed to happen that was the dream she had that she gave her life or whatever and because she sacrificed herself for a friend basically she doesn't go to hell which is what satana's like damn it yeah she was gonna be one of ours yeah. she'd already it's, pledged said because she sacrificed herself nobly she anyway. accidentally found redemption through a bludgeoning to the head first she sucks out the soul of the two hitmen and, and stuff and then she goes to harry goffin's office and she sucks his soul out but then it almost was like she was holding the butterfly and then like puffs it into air like she trashed his soul I don't mm. get it I mean, maybe they didn't want that one maybe it was too that's why I'm, I'm kind of taking it as like she's like well I don't want your soul dog and then yeah yeah, I don't get it but they don't ever really show you what she does with the other butterflies so for yeah. all I know that's just how she absorbs it don't know uh, who did you already say who the creative team was on this one I think Jim Lee I mean not Stanley <laughs> yeah it was Jim Lee and uh, no it was uh, Jerry Conway script Esteban Moroto art hey it's Esteban- gorgeous yeah, it's nice it looking. Gorgeous. I, I do have to say though, I prefer the John Romita just because it's well, so beautiful. These are some. This is some shitbag scans too. This may have looked better. Yeah, I, they, both of these books are available on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. I have the actual magazine of the first appearance, and it looks good on the. I mean, this this would look fantastic, not yeah. scanned to hell. Yeah, but it, it really is like gross scan. Like they didn't scan it on the right setting or something, mm-hmm. and everything's muddy, and there's a lot of captions that have a gray tone to them. And it just becomes a sea of black mush where you can barely read the text. It's like uh, if anybody in here knows, uh, nobody listening knows Photoshop. It's like they jacked with the threshold and they didn't do it right. It's all jacked up. Yeah. So you can see the potential for a good looking story, but it's it, kind of a mess. She's got the devil in a hole. No, no, no. This I can't believe. She's gonna tell you. Okay, when they're they're comparing their uh, marks of Satan, she says, Ruth, I believe in your dream, for you see, I too have the mark upon me. And then she thinks, though mine is the sign of my daughterhood, a sign I share with my treacherous brother, see the son of Satan number one. So this, she is the sister of Damon Hellstrom. And so this is sort of a spinoff 
but it's a mature readers spinoff in a black and white magazine where Son of Satan was a full color proper comic. I'm not sure how far of a lag there was between the two of them. But what do we think of this character? I mean, what what is her deal for starters? Do we have any idea? Uh, we have no clue what her deal is. No. And we know that she's evil because she, she views Son of Satan, the guy who's running around and fighting her father's forces, as a traitor. So she obviously has nefarious intent. She's stealing people's souls, but we don't know what the end game is on this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell. Like, I, I feel like they weren't trying to make her be a villain. Or maybe like, she was supposed to be an anti-hero, suppo- yeah. like a Tomb of Dracula kind of thing. Like, we were supposed to feel sympathetic for her for these guys hiring hitmen to go after her. But at the same time, she's so like, I guess she's running into evil. We're not, are we supposed to feel sympathetic for the hitmen? No, no. Her. Okay, right, right. There's greater evil than her. These are beautiful those. women who are imperiled. They even make a point of mission. They want to make it look like a ritualistic killing, which I'm sure brought Sharon Tate to some people's minds at the time. They're giving you all the ammunition you need to side with the Satanists. Yeah. Uh, against the soul-sucking Satanists. Yeah, against Guidos combined with Spanish Inquisitors. You know, whatever the hell that the, yeah, these are guys. These are bad dudes who are persecuting their religiosity. Whatever but, the fuck you want to say. Inve- the evangelical street preacher guy was or uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. Well, he's not really Bernie. Sanders. He just they draw him and he looks like Bernie. For people trying to picture what the guy looks like in the book, he's like Bernie Sanders. Well, really skinny Bernie. Yeah, I guess. But his hair is everywhere. He's put the horseshoe with the fucking yeah. Um, and he's dressed so, like a priest, right? Like a full on like well, he's, like with the fucking shawl thing, everything. But he, he came off almost like a TV preacher, like he was right, doing it for. Right. Well, it was it was a, kind of a scam, or at least yeah. he was trying to sensationalize the situation. Right, like a TV preacher. Right. But at the same time, he's also right. Like he hires those hitmen because he's like, dude, this satanic chick. I get a weird vibe from her. Well, he's right. You do have a weird vibe from her. She's walking around your city, stealing the souls out of decent people. So really, I was kind of rooting for the. If the hitmen would have won, it probably would have been better, right? It seems that way. I, I, I have to imagine weird. that later down the line, there'd probably be a story where she's got all these butterflies or something. She keeps them as a collection because she doesn't eat them. She doesn't do anything with them. She probably holds onto the soul as a trophy. And since yeah, he was beneath her, later on since she's beneath or he was beneath her, she crushes his so he no longer exists. I don't know. Or are the stories even that deep? Are they even inter? Are they? Do you think they're even intertwined? Or do you think each one's just sort of on its deal? And at some point, they're like, oh, her deal is she's at least once in one of these issues, she's got to suck somebody's soul out and show a butterfly in her hand. Well, I mean, she has to do something because she's in a book called Vampire Tales. Right. So they have to have that aspect to it. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. There may not be any end game with that. And this was a fairly long story, the second one, right? Is it yeah. like yeah. like regular comic link? Actual so dialogue. I, I find it really frustrating because I like the look of the character. I love the artwork. On I mean, they're, both, they're great on both of them. Although they're completely different styles, completely different creative teams, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And between the teaser and then the full-length first episode, I, I'm just very frustrated by not knowing what the fuck this chick's deal is. Yeah, well, what's the motivation? What's the... Uh, I mean, I don't get it. That's her first appearance for real? That's her first two appearances, yeah. Did she, well, did does, she pop she up she in Hillstorm books, maybe? Well, how does she reference Son of, uh, Son of Satan in another book if she didn't appear in it herself? No, she was talking about the brother. Yeah, the Damon Hellstrom, the Son of Satan, had already been introduced in the comics, and okay. so she's sort of this spinoff. I, I want to say she popped up in the uh, Warren Ellis run, but I could be wrong, because I think I think she pops up and she's insane. See, Vampire Tales ends up ending to boot, and to so boot. she moves over to another of the Marvel magazines, The Haunt of Horror, and she's in three issues of that, and apparently she fights that group, the four that's vaguely referenced. Yeah, she can't communicate with her dad. I'm just going to try to, I'm, I'm curious. I'm looking at her official handbook of the Marvel Universe entry. Okay, guys. Hot or not? Oh, hot. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel?
What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're talking about a comic. Ohatmu. Man. Okay. Her, uh, as of the 1980s, uh, Ohatmu, her first appearance was Vampire Tales number two. Her final appearance was Marvel Team Up number 81. So yes, she is in fact from the Book of the Dead. Her mom's name is Victoria. Over two decades ago, a demon who called himself Satan after the legendary embodiment of evil came to earth in the guise of a human, intent upon following children who would be half demon and half human. He therefore seduced a lonely and naive young woman named Victoria Wingate and married her shortly thereafter. Their son, Damon, was born within a year and their daughter Satana was born three years after Damon. Victoria never suspected the truth about her husband and even ascribed the unusual names he gave their children to mere eccentricity. However, once when Satana was still a child, Victoria discovered her husband and Satana performing a black magic ritual in the basement of their New England mansion. Her husband said that the time had come for Victoria to know the truth as Satana already did and transformed into a demonic form before her eyes calling himself Satan. Victoria Hellstrom went mad upon witnessing her husband's transformation and died soon afterwards. Damon was placed in an orphanage and Satan took Satana to his hell-like extra-dimensional realm where he schooled her in the use of her demonic powers, some of which she had inherited from him, others of which he granted her. He caused her to be possessed by a powerful demon called the Basilisk. Satana remained in full control of her mind and body, however, and the Basilisk had to do her bidding when she released it from her body. However, she became aware after leaving Satan's realm that the more she used the Basilisk to serve her ends, the stronger it grew, and that it might one day turn against her. Satan also turned Satana into a sucky able to draw a human spirit from its body and absorb its psychic energy. Again, psychic energy, huh? After Satana reached adulthood, Satan decided to test his daughter's loyalty. Acting in the guise of a human named Miles Gorney, supposedly the leader of a mystical cabal called the Four. Satan drove Satana to Earth, where she discovered that her succubus powers had given her an addiction like a vampire's. She now had to absorb the psychic energy of human spirits she'd removed from their bodies in order to survive. She later battled the Four, a mystical cabal. During Satana's first time in the mortal dimension, she was attacked by Monsignor Jimmy Cruz and his band of soldiers. During this battle, Cruz summoned demons called the Angari. Remember, those were the ones from the X-Men story where Kitty Pride is in the Adventures Mansion during Christmas and she's, she's being stalked by the demon? I think so. Yeah, that's an Angari. So I wonder if Claremont wrote those stories. I have to go look into that. <laughs> Exeter tried to fend them off but was killed trying to protect his mistress. Though she was too late to save her beloved Exeter, Satana gained her revenge by killing Cruz and consuming his soul. Eventually, after Satana had long struggled against her supposed enemies, Satan revealed that he was was Gorney and had been behind Satana's troubles. He then ordered Satana to use her succubus power to seize the soul of the dying former priest Michael Huron, who had once saved her life and whom she regarded as a friend. Satana refused to obey Satan's order and when... Fuck, there's only the one page. I, I have to know how... Satana refused to obey Satan's order and when Huron died a moment later, allowed his spirit to travel where it was intended to go. Furious Satan disowned Satana, exiled her from his realm and vowed to kill her if they ever met again. Satana also spent the following years learning about the world of humans and coming to value the friendship she made with human beings. During this time, she also battled heroically against the agents of the demonic race known as the Ngari. Finally, Satana learned that the Earth Dimension Sorcerer Supreme, Dr. Stephen Strange, had been transformed into a werewolf as a result of having to use the Shiatra Book of the Damned, a volume of black magic, in order to save his then-lover Clea from his enemy Silver Dagger. Satana knew that it was necessary to cure Strange for the good of the Earth she had come to value so highly, even though she also knew that to do so, she would have to sacrifice her own life. While Strange's physical form was that of a werewolf, his spirit form, consciousness, was held prisoner by 
by demons in an astral realm. Satana therefore cast a spell that projected her spirit into the astral realm, where she found that she had to unleash the basilisk to drive off the demons so that she could reach Stranger's soul. She freed Stranger's soul, but then a demon thrust a mystical weapon into her own spirit, thereby causing her body on Earth to become mortally wounded. The basilisk then turned on her, but it died as her physical body did back on Earth. Doctor Strange, now freed of the werewolf curse, eulogized Satana as a hero. Her spirit's fate is unknown, but is not in Satan's realm. So that was the first death, life and death of Satana. Hmm. So what do we think about all this? Is this a character with unrealized potential? Is this a character that you just don't think made to get itself together? It's a very adult story at the time. I don't know what, I mean, like, what, what, so what would... I mean, would she be like a, a Hellstorm villain? Part of, part or, of the Midnight Suns? Yeah, I mean, what, what do you do with her? She, she, we, she's uh, gotta be a villain, right? The thing that makes her interesting is that she's... Well, but that's the thing. She does turn on her father at the, you know, because they... Who turns out not to be Satan, right? Not the real Satan. They, you know how it is with Marvel. Is they, they introduce a guy, and he's supposed to be Satan, and then some writer comes along later on and says, well, no, this is just a demon named yeah. such and such. So, And that's the shit they pulled, is eventually... Uh, it wasn't that Damon was the, the son of the Satan. He was just like the son of a satanic type creature character yeah. yeah so yeah so she there's not the real devil's daughter but i mean do we want to see her as a protagonist considering that you've already got damon hellstrom do you think they ought to flip it to where she's but the see, good guy and he's the bad guy I'd have what to do you f- do with her i'd have to find those old the warren ellis run i want to say she pops up and she's insane mm-hmm. and she's part of what's keeping him see it's been so long since i, read it. I remember reading him and there was it was an interesting story i mean it was dark as shit yeah. like we'll, really we'll dark to, we'll have to look at the hellstorm stuff eventually yeah, I have, I'll, I'll try to dig them up. I have most of them. Like I said, I just found the last issue, which was really hard to come by. But I want to say she's in there and she's had like all these voices in her head or I have to go back. Now that I know this, maybe that would make a little more sense because I'm pretty sure he's very well. Warren Nettles is known to uh, reach back into characters, uh, histories and kind of bring stuff up. Your lifestyle to me seems so tragic with the thrill of it all. You fooled all the Damon Hellstrom debuted in the September 1973 cover dated Ghost Rider number one, actually released on June 19th, 1973, per Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Vampire Tales number two was released on July 3rd, 1973, less than a month later. Based on an account by Carla Joseph Conway in 1974's Vampire Tales number three, Stanley had been wanting to do a story about the Devil's Daughter for years, but couldn't do so in a standard comic of the time. The combination of the black and white magazine boom and loosened restrictions on horror material under the Comic Code Authority finally allowed for the type of material Lee had in mind. Since Son of Satan was already being developed, Stan and Roy Thomas believed the time was right for Satana as well. Roy Thomas initially tried to develop the Satana concept with Spanish vampirella artist Esteban Moroto, but he was tied up with another project. Instead, Jazzy Johnny Remita produced three character designs based on his research into the occult, then took the best aspects of each for his finished version in her brief first appearance. Remita was unaware that Moroto still had designs on the character, and initially had worked up several designs for the concept that went unused due to parallel production, though aspects like the growth of ram's horns worked their way into other artists' interpretations. Moroto did evolve his own take on the Remita design, and the character has always had a fluid look with wild variations. All that having been said, it's debatable whether the son or daughter of Satan was conceived first, and the finished products came out so close together that it isn't fair to call Satana a spinoff, so much as a parallel concept that was tied into Damon Hellstrom as something of an afterthought. Between her first and second solo stories, Satana was included in the Hellstrom origin story from 1974's Marvel Spotlight number 13. Then she moved over to the new magazine Haunt of Horror with its second issue in two stories by Jerry Conway, with art by Pablo Marcos, and 
Enrique Romero. Satana gained a new blonde roommate named Gloria Hefford from the Church of the Dark Father. Satana skipped haunt number three and returned for two stories in number four. This Side of Hell by Tony Isabella and Enrique Romero. Then the tech story Doorway to Dark Destiny by Chris Claremont with illustrations by Pat Broderick. Satana made her first cover appearance in 1975's Haunt of Horror number five with a painting by Dick Giordano and appeared in a story by Chris Claremont and George Evans. It was the last issue of the magazine and the end of Satana's solo run. In a story where she defied her father to save the ex-priest, Satana breaks an evil chick's spine over her knee like Bane. Just had to mention that. Later that year, Satana had her first adult encounter with the Son of Satan in Marvel Spotlight number 24 by Chris Claremont, Sal Buscema, and Bob McLeod. Former roommate Gloria Hefford got possessed by the mother of demons, Cathara, and inspired Satana to drop kinky lines like, We're still best friends, aren't we, Damon? We can still play together? I can still give you a sisterly kiss? At which point she drew out a black butterfly that became a doppelganger of Damon Hellstrom. Here's a whole thing. Apparently he also has multiple souls, so he had them to spare. Ultimately, Cathara tricked Damon into consuming Satana and Hellfire, but she survived through her basilisk and slew her former roommate. Damon tried to apologize, but Satana ripped into him with, Don't touch me, Damon. Don't you ever touch me. We chose our destinies a long time ago, brother. You the right hand, path of good, and I the left. And we'll walk those roads until we die. Still, we might have been friends once. Cross my path again, brother, and I'll look on you and see a cringing, shivering, pitiful little mortal man. I'll look at you, and I will take your soul and laugh at the taking of it. Harsh. The guest appearance was ahead of her single solo adventure in Marvel premiere number 27, again written by Chris Claremont. Here we learned Satana had trained under the demon Dansker, who had now possessed a woman on Earth whom Satana had her basilisk destroy. It included a sequence where she humiliated some armed townsfolk. You have the manners of a pig, little man, and a pig's place is the gravel in the mud. And so he did, squealing and oinking. The issue also featured a lightly rewritten and redrawn reprint of her first appearance to tone down the more salacious elements. Marvel preview number 7 marked the final Satana Satana's solo project of the Bronze Age with a multi-chapter story by Chris Claremont and Vicente Alcazar that mostly wrapped up her story plus a text piece with illustrations by Mike Nasser. However, the magazine remains best known for debuting Rocket Raccoon. Chris Claremont ended Satana's initial story in a two-part tale for 1979's Marvel team-up number 80-81 with John Wagner, Mike Vosberg, and Steve Lee Aloha, seeing that she didn't survive the 1970s. Virtually all of these stories were reprinted in the 2006 volume Essential Marvel Horror. However, when you're the devil's daughter, death is not the end. Now, now you guys can do some. Yeah. You're going to leave the dreidel part in? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, the, the whole the point of that was to have something like a shorter subject. And then you guys can do some fucking mail for change instead of me doing all the fucking mail. Because I'm tired of mail. Ah, good. There it is. Think. Woo. These are old. But we haven't done a mailbag in so long, I don't think it's going to matter. Alan Middleton. On fellow retweeters. Wait. Oh, yeah. So we got, we, I think somebody did like a follow Friday. I mean, we haven't done comments in so fucking long that I, context is a little elusive. But if I remember correctly, what happened is somebody was retweeting us on like a follow Friday, and Alan Middleton said that uh, we were great company oh, along great. with Firestorm Fan. Yeah. Okay, got it. Comics Talk Comics said, Ahoy, fellow geeks. I'm working my way through your back hat. Back catalog. Apparently, Facebook ads do occasionally work. Yeah, that's after you set up the the Facebook account, and that was uh, one of our comments there. Yeah, uh, not a lot of comments. We don't we don't have like a thriving Facebook community like Water uh, Fire and Water, for instance. Well, because Facebook works differently. Mm-hmm. Facebook will it can intentionally. So with Twitter, you can't hide something off somebody's timeline on Twitter. As long as they're going through their timeline and you tweeted something, they're going to see it, right? Facebook, they, the way that they, they manipulate their timeline. Your shit literally will not show up on someone's page. It just doesn't show up unless they meet certain criteria, right? 
uh, or they've gone into your page and they can select something that, so that everything you post shows up. Otherwise, you literally have to pay Facebook money. So anytime I make a post on Facebook, a pop-up comes up that says, you're reaching 20 people now. If you want to reach 2,000 people, which would throw it in a Facebook ad all, all over all these people's pages, do $5 to boost it. And I could pay 5 bucks, and then that post would show up on everybody's timeline. They can manipulate their shit. The way it is is that if you started it back in the day, which those dudes have probably had their Facebook page forever, right? At least four or five years, I'd say, yeah. Every time you post something, it posts on everybody's page, and it was a lot easier. So somebody would comment, and that comment would then show up on all their friends' pages. Be like, oh, shit, they're talking about a couple characters nobody cares about. But I might kind of care about it. So they can click on it and like the page. So you almost kind of got grandfathered in because you had so many people that already liked your page. Mm -hmm. Whenever they went behind essentially a paywall, even though the amount of shit you're posting doesn't hit quite as many people as before, it still hits a lot of way more people. We don't roll like that. But that's what it is. Like I remember a buddy of mine's a photographer and, and he just said he noticed as soon as they implemented these rules, the number of likes and comments he had on his photos just like fell off a fucking cliff. And shares, he would, it just fell off a cliff. And it's got nothing more than the fact that it just didn't show up on people's pages anymore. Next, Sean McLaughlin said, I was listening to The Jam and Walking the Dog when I remember there was a new podcast. That's loyalty, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Preach on. Sean's our bro. Dead as Hell says, if Sue Storm puts a force bubble around Mjolnir, how much earth would she have to pick up with it to move it? Oh, look at me. I don't know shit. <laughs> the answer is comic books. Yeah, we'll go with that. Odell Abner Dracula said, Dracula? Dracula? What am I, from New York? <laughs> <laughs> Odell Abner Dracula said, I'll bless the day I discover. Yeah, that was uh, when I did a tweet of uh, people who followed us, friended us, whatever the fuck, liked us, retweeted us, looking for love, and he just finished out the song. Uh, Charlie Daniels Band. I have a story. So, no, was that Charlie Daniels? Yeah, that was, was that Charlie Daniels? No, that's Johnny Lee. <laughs> I know, dude, you're franking us, okay? <laughs> Come on now. No, it's Johnny Lee, because what happened is I went to the Gillies Rodeo as a kid. I remember uh, those. You remember the story? Mm, no, but I remember the r- r- Gillies. Right. So, for those who don't know, Gillies was a popular uh, honky country tonk. Western that was a honky bar. club yeah, out in uh, South Houston back in the 70s and 80s. They filmed the majority of the bar scenes from the movie Urban Cowboy mm-hmm. with John Travolta there. And they would have like a little rodeo uh, every year as well. Not like the Texas Livestock Show and Rodeo. Not nothing that big, but Houston, Houston Livestock Show. So anyway, so they had their little bitty baby rodeo, and and they'd have occasionally some stars and stuff. Mick Gilly himself was a you know minor celebrity in country music. So anyway, so I went to this thing, and they had some kind of contest. I don't know if it was like throwing a dart at a spinning board or some crap like that. But anyway, so I won a prize. I think I, I think I won two prizes. I think I had won something like a T-shirt and. And for some reason, the person at the table was making me take my T-shirt off to get the new T-shirt. And so I was shy, so I ended up going under the table and changing my shirts there. And it's all kind of creepy in retrospect. It's like, why would you even do that? But I also uh, won a Johnny Lee album. And it was one of the only long play albums that I owned. And unfortunately, it didn't have the song Looking for Love on it, which is the whole reason why I picked it in the first place. The only song I remember was his cover of Hey Bartender. Hey Bartender. Our next comment comes from Charlotte Nero. <laughs> Listen to some At Rolls Fine podcasts. Loving their hashtag Doctor Strange episode. Great work, guys. Told you this shit was old. Thank you. Hey, that's a good episode. You guys haven't listened to our Doctor Strange episodes. Two-parter. Yeah. Both of them. Two-parter. 
Our next uh, comment comes from Jason Martinez. He says, listening to the Marvel Superheroes podcast, Wild Agents of Marvel, Siskoid, another good episode. I still really need to do Wild Agents of Marvel for like two or three other people that I've recorded with years ago, and I just haven't got around to editing the show. <laughs> years ago. No, sir, at this point, it's like been a year and a half. One of these guys has been waiting. He actually was planning a podcast, ran the podcast for nine episodes, and it's been defunct for like half a year, and I still haven't run his episode. So I'm, I'm bad. I'm sorry. Our next comment comes from Coffee Comics Blog. Canada. Dr. G. The I think he was supporting Al- uh, Alpha Flight in our Alpha Flight episode. Or Siskoid. Could be. Oh, yeah, yeah, because we did. Yeah. Oh, that's probably more likely. Yeah. yeah. These aren't quite that old. Dr. G. The Nerdologist says. Of the plot, Pulp to Pixel podcast, which we never promote on this show. So I've listened to several episodes, including a really nice Justice League episode. So way to go, Pulp to Pixel podcast. Love the opening of the new Marvel of the recent Marvel SHP episode. I'm a huge Tin Tin and Aster. Is it Asterix? Asterix. Huge. I'm a huge Tin Tin and fan. Even though I grew up in the U.S. Those are the, those uh, Canadian cartoon characters, right? Uh, uh they're not. They're not Canadian. They're no, not Canadian. they're 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 European. They're like from two different European countries. Okay, so and I, I do exposure though was brought about by us talking. About. Well, I'm actually curious. I wanted to ask this. Uh, fix it. Do you remember the 1010 cartoons? I think they ran on Showtime back Deutsch in the early 80s. 1010 about the dopey kid with the dog. Vaguely, like that and Babar. They were yeah. on Showtime. They yeah. Like Shout out Babar. <laughs> very, but for for American sensibilities, they were very peculiar looking. So I think that there was. A, well, it was always weird because Babar, there were elephants, but there were humans around them. What about Paddington Bear? Was he British? <laughs> yeah, he was British. Yeah, but I don't remember the cartoons of that. That was on Channel Eight, though. Uh, yes, yeah, the channel that was PBS, man. Familiar. Yeah, so I think because I would only be able to get cable and fits a, a, as a kid, so all that stuff was very unfamiliar to me. All kind of weird, and then they were so European too. Our next comment comes from Keith G. Baker. Love this episode. I always pictured Houston folks as Daniel Day Lewis from There Will Be Blood. I still haven't seen it. Pretty close. My, my father gave me a copy, and I put it on a shelf like five years ago, and I've never even tried to watch it. You're like, well, you okay, like yeah, um, Daniel Day Lewis? Paul W. San- I mean, Paul W. Was that Paul Anderson? No, yeah, was that Paul Anderson or? or- I just like Daniel Day Lewis. No, I'm trying to think who was the director on that one. Oh, I don't know. I didn't like it that much. I mean, I watched the movie. Our next comment comes from Count Dracula, and now we're into the Marvel SAT, and it's clear that Atroll's fine and At Siskoid aren't actually going to talk about comics. The comments in this episode, on the other hand, it's nice that Siskoid descends from cannibal rednecks who hid in the woods uh, when the Brits invaded. Yes, I thought that, that all of the uh, learned we got of uh, Canada was tremendous. I didn't know Michael Berryman was Canadian, so cool. Uh, our next comments from Siskoid. Holy crap, you dug up Hal Lone Pine's New Brunswick song? I live in the same city as the Magnetic Hill, as the magnetic hill reference. It's not actually Giant Magnet, nor is our Chocolate River actually made of quick. Fred Rand Linky was the name of the Alpha Flight writer we were struggling with. I've read most of the Asterix books in French and English. Humble brag, nice one there. Uh, they change all the puns, so it's uh, quite fun to do so. That's kind of cool that you get to read the same book twice. Uh, Fred Van Lint will be in Houston this summer, by the way. Who the fuck is that? He, my, my, the thing I like him for was Action Philosophers. Uh, that, didn't you read? Oh uh, yeah, I remember you, you passed that on. I, I was a big fan of Action Philosophers. I never could manage to finish comic book comics because he's just referencing a bunch of other books I've already read. So it's, it feels like I'm just rereading the same book that I read before. But Action Philosophers was awesome. I've got a hardcover collection of that one that I want to reread. Our next comic comes from Marty Light. Of the uh, Lonely, Hi- Lonely Hearts Romance uh, podcast, etc. Long title. Oh, and now I've lost my place. As a kid, I've debated so many times who would win between Tintin and Spearoo. 
I don't know fucking Spiru. Do you remember that cartoon, The Little Prince? Lived Shut on a planet. Only just now that you mentioned okay. it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just having flashbacks oh, right. of y'all speak. those weird <laughs> no. foreign Showtime uh, re, re, uh, packaging yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Dude, they're just, they're just coming over the car, man. <laughs> hey, just keep coming. Curious George was on PBS too, wasn't it? I think so. Paddington Bear was the one that was an actual toy bear, right? That would move yeah. real creepily. I, you know, I heard that movie was actually good. They made a movie about a year ago. Who you think of Teddy Ruxpin? No, 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 no. no. Paddington Bear, the cartoon, it would had it. Had, it was like a real pup, and they would just move it. Dude, we knew Teddy Ruxpin because we would all put the Run DMC tape in there and watch Teddy Ruxpin throw some mad sick rhymes at you. Well, we had a two live crew. Really? Yeah. Oh, he got dirty on that one. Oh yeah. Uh, but no, I actually remember my first girlfriend. <laughs> I'm just picturing Teddy Ruxpin telling people to pop that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm face down, ass up. That's the way Teddy likes them. He, he's working the mouth. The right way, yeah. I would say. But no, I remember with my first girlfriend and her mom, we spent an entire day driving around Houston trying to find a store that had a Teddy Ruxpin to buy for my girlfriend's little sister. I think every family's got some sort of story about traveling around town to find a Teddy Ruxpin. Or whatever, the Furbies no, or whatever. The, the one, no, no, the one that creeped me out, dude, was that fucking uh, the glowworm. I don't remember yeah, glowworm. Dude, those were so weird. It was a worm that the head would light up and had like a little sleeping cap. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I remember I remember a a female student in junior high or I think I was in sixth grade she had a sleepover for her birthday so boys and girls got to sleep over but we had to sleep on different sides of the room and this one girl had it and every once in a while that fucking face would light up and the room was dark so you just see this lighted face and it just freaked the shit out of me so many times at one point a friend of mine was like well somebody put the damn doll down because would, she would move and it just light up the room and then it would turn off and she'd move and it'd light up the room and so it would just draw your attention to it quick Nam flashback another one jeez uh, yeah, here's one for me too. Uh, I, did, I as a kid, as you know, I liked action figures and comic books for the most part, to the exclusion of most everything else. I didn't get a bike or trikes or anything like that. But one of the few vehicle things I had that I would ride as a kid, but it was it was like a hobby horse, but it was on wheels and it was shaped like a big green worm, and you would basically bounce on it, and that would be your mode of, of motion. Was instead of pushing it or anything, you would bounce, and it would kind of yeah. very slowly <laughs> inch its way along. I guess Frank, like an inch did you have special feelings with this worm? Because some. <laughs> No, uh, no, no, no. Those that those sensations had not been awakened yet. It was just about. Now I'm picturing you riding that to a two life person. <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin on the on the worm with the popping that pussy. <laughs> Inch, worm, inch, worm, inch, worm. Just, they're like, for some reason, he just keeps going around the house with that damn worm nonstop like for hours. I like this game. I like this game. <laughs> he yeah. stops every once in a while and smokes a candy cigarette and gets back on it. <laughs> Those are pretty tough to find these days, you notice. <laughs> I, I know a candy store, trust me. Now, now you just vape. You're going to give the kid an actual vaporizer. <laughs> this will make you a man. Not even though they just crack the candy on a spoon and light it up and just kind of... No, no. <laughs> All right, uh, our next comment comes from Ange. Love comics origin stories, so enjoy this episode tremendously. My folks went to England on vacation when I was a kid, uh, and I asked for British comics as a souvenir. They got me a couple of Asterix books, and I was hooked. Uh, I have a smattering of these books and enjoy them more than Tintin, which I only recently discovered. Those Asterix books were funny then and now. Our next comic comes from CJ. Epic episode 50, very entertaining. Uh, Randy Caldwell said, but Captain America didn't debut until March 1941. Oh, fine then. Anyway, I'm listening to it on December 20th. I can now blog that I've been hashtag Frank. Yeah, he was trying to say that the book had come out on March 41, and we ran the episode in December because the actual publication arrived uh, on the newsstand in December. Ooh, Frank, hard on that one. Too Dangerous for a Girl, a.k.a. Martin Gray's blog, burp, 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 said, burp, burp, burp. 
scrolling down, scrolling down. Great show. Cap has never been a uh, favorite character. I like how you typed it with a U also. Or did you copy and paste? I just copy and pasted. God, God damn it, I love that. Uh, nothing to do with him being American. I simply prefer heroes uh, with flashier MOs. But I really love the Stern, Stern Burn and uh, Demetrius Zekruns. The Arnie Michael story resonated with me, and I adored Perky Bernie Rosenthal. Uh, I just love that uh, uh, what's his face uh, Chris Evans is, is dating that one actress, the little Jewish actress. So he's, he's actually found his own Bernie Rosenthal. I just think that's the sweetest. I play. thought he was dating the chick to play Scarlet Witch. They, no, I don't think that ever happened because she's oh. she's been married most of the time. She's oh. been Black Widow. She was married to Ryan Reynolds, I think, when she started, and now she's married to some other dude. S- not Scarlet. Oh, sorry. Oh, Scarlet. Scarlet no. Witch. Yeah, the the actress. Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. No, not that I'm aware of. Oh, okay, I thought that First I, heard, time I, heard, that. I heard they were together. Some I don't. Know. And funnily enough, they the the they met through a podcast. Oh, they're Anna Ferris's podcast because he's he's buddies with her. Anna Ferris, yeah, has a podcast. Yeah, she's got a podcast. Wow, this is a strange, strange world. Mm-hmm. You've got a podcast. What is so weird? Oh, y'all dragged me into this. I don't, I don't have. I'm a special guest. Regardless, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but I really okay. I tried an issue or two of the Brubaker Epting run. So we can't connect with all the shield shite. I miss the days when heroes would find their own villains to fight rather than having uh, to be sent in by whoever Nick Fury is. Whoever Nick Fury is this week, and I agree entirely with the notion that being Captain America diminishes Sam. Uh, he's been his own hero for decades. He doesn't need to be bench warmed by. He doesn't need to be bench warming for someone else. Uh, he should be in the streets in that groovy orange and green pantsuit. Uh, finally, got December's Doctor Strange and Cap episodes to play. It's like Christmas in, at Dormammu's. I, I really nice. prefer the red and white uh, Falcon costume, the one that was on the Mego doll. I, the green and orange is this weird thing, this proto Falcon thing before he had his wings. So, so like I, there was an article on one of the on I don't know if it was uh, Kotaku or fucking IO Nine or something. But they were talking about Black Panther, and they led off the article saying Black Panther is Marvel's uh, most important uh, African American, and I said Marvel's. Black Panther is the most important African American or uh, most important black character who's not African American. You just you can just drop just you just drop the American part and you're good. I, I was like Black Panther's the most important black and a superhero, not just black guy in comics. I'm superhero in comics. Like Black Panther's the most important above everyone. He was the first one. He was the first character to have his name on the front cover of a comic book. Well, he was in Jungle Action Jungle first, Action. right? He, that was him. That was his whole first thing. Everybody else is fucking just riding on his. Fumes, right? Mm. Uh, and I had people arguing with me, telling me that, like, Static Shock, because he was the first African-American superhero to get a cartoon, which is great, which is great. That doesn't make him more important, because he had a cartoon in the late 90s than Black Panther, who was whipping the most popular comic book character, White Asses, in 1962 or three. 66, I think it was. And then somebody tried to tell me that all of the Milestone characters were more important than... Black Panther. They, they, there's a the shaky definition of the word important right. in play here. Right. Okay. That visit the dictionary first, and we'll come back. Literally, with the exception of Static, I don't think any of the Milestone characters are important. I think it's important that you had African American co-owners yeah, in a company. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie was important. Dennis Cowan was important. Fucking Blood Syndicate and Icon, not important. They're not important characters. It's the fact that they still have a piece of those characters. It's the fact that they you're still have control over a universe of characters that are diverse and pretty much every sense of the word 
that's important. But the actual books, and honestly, their impact on culture, not as important as Black Panther ultimately. Right. And when somebody's like, what about Black Lightning? And I'm like, who? Like, go, like, yeah. Like, Black well, Black Lightning was sabotaged. And, and actually, for some of the same reasons as Milestone Media, the creators have an investment in the characters. And because of that, the companies can't just do whatever the fuck they want with them. So more often than not, they just choose not to fucking not do anything with them. All, right? That's like, y- y'all know that's what happened with the Ultraverse, right? Remember the, the Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, you know why you never see those characters anymore, right? With no. Dai and all these other companies? Because Marvel owns Malibu, but when Malibu set up the deal for that universe, all the creators of all those characters had a stake in those characters. So Marvel would have to deal with that stake if they ever wanted to publish any of those characters. And they'd also have to deal with one of the company founders who's apparently a major shitbag. So they just don't. They just put those characters in a box, and if they ever renew the copyrights, you know, it, it'll probably be some minor bullshit thing for them to just keep up with their ownership. But our, uh, creators, if they had the money, could arguably go and try to sue Disney to get the characters' full rights back, since they're obviously not exploiting them, and they're causing uh, financial harm to the creators by not having those books out there. But nobody wants to lawyer up against Disney, because you know that shit ain't going to come out very well. And guys like Marv Wolfman, and was it Mike Friedrich that tried to have the suit against Marvel for Ghost I don't know. You're franking us here, so I'm just okay. going to go with it. So anyway, so comic creators have tried to use the legal ambiguities to get their characters back from these big corporations, and they tend to get swamped. So nobody thinks that Prime and Nightman are worth fighting over to that degree, to, to that likely financial harm. And uh, retaliatory actions, like Marvel tried to legally ban an artist from drawing, like selling prints of Ghost Rider, yeah. because, you know, so it just wasn't worth it. So it, it those characters aren't going to be seen again, probably ever. And they made it to the public domain or they might just do the bare minimum to keep the rights to those characters and then never do anything with them again. And while that's not the case with Milestone, DC's been much more gracious about using those characters. They still kind of come and go. That Right now, the, the Static was part of the New 52. They canceled his book after eight issues. And I think that's the last time a Milestone character has appeared anywhere. So Did Icon long, make a, an appearance, I think? Yeah, but that was before okay. the New 52. So because DC has to deal with other rights holders, they just won't fuck with it. And Black Lightning, Tony Isabella's got a stake. They don't want to fuck with him. So those characters are just always going to be diminished. I don't think the only time they ever mass produced a black lightning action figure was total justice, you know, and, and they just avoid it because it's why would you take 90% of, of the money if you can get a hundred percent of the money? Well, and I think that the other thing is there's, there's a, I don't know that I think there. If you kind of go back and forth, whether or not uh, there's the definition of superpowers are. Black Panther's the first super. That's why he's the first superhero. There were other, you know, old. There were black characters. Underground black black, black characters, but none of them actually exhibited a superhuman power. Well, my whole thing is you had like Negro comics, and they had uh, I think his name was Tiger Man or Lion Man or something, and he was another jungle action hero. But as you said, he didn't have actual powers. Uh, Lobo was I think the first black character to have his own self-titled book for like an issue and he was a western gunfighter I think that Black Panther was the first African descent costumed hero and you can argue what a superhero is you know the Phantom was around before Batman was the Phantom a superhero but it doesn't really matter if there were any predecessors Black Panther is the only one that matters because he's the only one who amounted to anything right well and that He's either, he, he's in those conversations and it's up for debate. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's still around going strong. Yeah. I'm sorry, he's the most poor black. And, and incredible visibility. I mean, again, you're, you as we were talking, you're wearing a Black Panther shirt that you bought at JCPenney. The, the way it goes back to this comment is that somebody goes, I think that Falcon is Captain America is pretty damn important. And I was just like, how is that important? That's not remotely important. Dude, putting a 
Like, how is changing the Falcon character into a white guy's character important? Well, I think that the 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 you know image of Captain America being held by an African you know American person is a big deal. And I'm like, that's great if you think that's great. And that doesn't make Falcon now all of a sudden. Look what a fucking dumb thing to say. But that makes no sense because actually the original Captain America was black. Uh, the, the truth. Truth. Yeah. yeah the truth. They, did. they used the serum on the black soldiers, so then you had a black Cap, which Cap at one point acknowledges and as his well, forerunner. I, I think I heard something where they'd made it to where, or it, may, it might be even in the story because I'd never bothered to read the story, was that those were actually the follow-up to Erskine. Like when they couldn't, like when Erskine Oh, killed, okay. Then they were trying to oh, do wow. another one. So I, they, they, kind so of a gray area. Kind of a big thing there, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'd never read the truth. It didn't very much appeal to me. I, it wasn't a very good-looking book. I don't think it was Kyle Baker's best artwork. I don't remember who the writer was, but he wasn't a writer I was very familiar with. The point is, Captain America is Steve Rogers, and Sam Wilson was his sidekick, and he's basically been a sidekick in some fashion forever, or he's been some dude on a team. He's never carried his own book for any length of time under his own identity. The whole point is, you you, you have your character in within the T'Challa is a pretty big deal in the universe. Like he's been a too big character, a seedless character. Well, he's part of the Illuminati. But everybody goes, oh, shit. Yeah. Know? Well, Marvel's made an effort. They've recognized that Black Panther is the, one of the best guys they can point to and go, this is our black hero. This is the guy that we can put on T-shirts. This is a guy that we can sell to the mass market. This is a guy who's got a history dating back to 1966. So he's legit. He's not just some guy we came well, up with last month to show our diversity. And he's had his own series. He is a superhero because from the earliest days, they had him eating the heart-shaped herb that gave him powers beyond human beings he's faster he's stronger he has heightened senses uh, and they've built on that since then so he's definitely a superhero he's definitely commercial he's definitely a strong visual and he came along at a time he's he's before Shaft he's before all the sports heroes he came out before anybody in the media was really looking for black heroes they were all still subordinates they were all still guys who were like in an ensemble he came out and he was the man he's kicking ass he's taking names and he was clearly positioned to be a guy like he didn't just keep popping up in Fantastic Four like Wyatt Wingfoot you know he's just oh he's that black guy that shows up every now and again he goes off and he, he has a team up with Daredevil he goes off and he does his own he gets his own anthology uh, segment he was always a guy who was positioned to be a feature player it's just not the same uh, so, some guy who was created 20-30 years ago it's not the same cyborg what? No, come on. Anyway, so... No, but Cyborg is a... It kind of, eh, no, not compar- comparable, though. The only no. one that's, that's close is saying Storm. Yeah. Storm is the only one that comes close, and that's because Storm has been... And all, she, although now she's sort of taking uh, what we just said about Black Lightning and all the Milestone characters, and because she's associated with Fox... Marvel's pulling the reins back on the X-Men to try and, you know, yeah. you know get My, any toys or anything like that. I, I do understand that now that Perlmutter is not controlling Marvel Studios, that the antagonism between Fox and Marvel Studios has diminished somewhat, and there's, you know, just a greater possibility of, of moving past that. You still won't get toys because Perlmutter still handles that, but maybe there won't be so much uh, animosity on the movie front. But, yeah, the problem with Storm, though, is she had, a, like, a nine-issue series last year that got canceled for low sales. He's had 
that's a miniseries, but she's the chick for the X-Men. Everybody knows her, but everybody knows her as one of the players in a team book. That's yeah. it. Or a team cartoon. We've just gone through a, 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 our latest cycle of X-Men movies. There, there is the latest trilogy where you go from first class to Days of Future Past to Apocalypse. And they're, they're bringing Storm back. She hasn't even been in the last two movies for the most part. She had the cameos in, in Days of Future Past, but she hasn't been a major player in the movies she's supposed to be a major player in since like X2. So if she's so, so she's not even an important X-Man. man for some in the movies that are... And it's where, where Black Panther... Yet. Like, Black Panther just hasn't appeared yet. Yeah. This movie, she was actually in and then just stopped being in them. Yeah. Right? Well, and it's not just that. BET, they did their not-so-great cartoon, but there isn't a Storm cartoon out there. You know, Black Panther had his own cartoon. Black Panther is, was appearing in other people's cartoons before Storm uh, uh, was it anything. So it's just not comparable. But anyway, just, just seeing that comment about... Uh, about Sam Wilson being, you know, basically diminishes Captain America's. I agree with it. Our next comment comes from the 108th Sage. The audio drama portion was absolutely fabulous. I have to agree with Count Druncula. Uh, you summed up my feelings about the wasted promise Amalgam failed to deliver on. Farewell said about the relative pros and cons of Batman vs. Spider-Man Origins. Uh, one glaring omission was Power Pack Origin. Is Power Pack Origin dope? I can't remember what Power Pack Origin is. Uh, I thought they got their powers from aliens. No, why do I think that there was something quirky that made that Origin good? I don't. Or maybe it's just really not good. I, I don't think I've ever bought a Power Pack comic that didn't involve a guest appearance or tie-in with some other book. That was the sole reason why I bought and read that maybe Power Pack. Either, but I feel like that popped up on Wizard lists or something. You know, Wizard love to do ranking shit. Or, was- or Newsarama. You might be confusing since they, they do nothing but listicles, I think. Oh! Uh, Okay, anyway, our next comment is from Ange, or no, yeah, Ange. Uh, hang on to your hash, true believers, as I drop some Ange history pertinent to the show. When I set up the comics, comic box commentary site, I thought that I would try to review lots of different books, but I ended up finding that too loose of an idea. I decided to focus the site on one character instead. My initial thought, Captain America. At the time, Ed Brubaker was about three years into his run on Cap, and I was loving that book. Hadn't followed Cap before that, going to the title only because I loved all that Brubaker had done before. I was floored. I loved, I mean loved, that run. Since it was my favorite book at the time, I thought this might be the way to go. Then I realized outside of Brubaker's run, I really knew very little about Cap. What I knew, I only knew from guest starring stints in the occasional Avengers book I bought. Uh, hard to do a whole blog on him. So I decided to lean on prior loves and dedicate that site to Kara. Kara? Kara? Kara. Yeah, uh, Supergirl, right? Uh, I wasn't too into super into the Supergirl of the time collecting her book, but I have a hard time with her uh, Loeb Kelly characterization. Uh, I love both Cap movies, pro- uh, probably my favorite Marvel movies overall. I thought that Joe Johnston was a great choice for a director given how much I loved The Rocketeer. That movie captured the feeling of a hero in World War II, so I wasn't surprised that the first Avenger was such a winning film. I knew Evans from Human Torch and Ramona's second evil ex in Scott Pilgrim. I did not expect him to grab the role as well as he has. Great show. We agree. Uh, well, I was just talking to Brian Daly sent me a article about how the current model of franchises are killing the concept of the movie star. Where you used to go to see the movie for the movie star, and now you're going to see the movie about Wolverine, the movie about Spider-Man, and so on and so forth. And what I argued is that when they look at Chris Evans, they like to say that he plays Captain America as a Gary Cooper-type character. And one of the reasons why they say that is Gary Cooper was in film for decades, and he played the same guy in movie after movie with a different name. But it was the same kinds of movies, the same kinds of 
characters over and over again. So Chris Evans gets to make his money and make his fame off of playing that one Gary Cooper part. And then he can go off and do some acting. He can go do Snowpiercer or he can go do a romantic comedy. And he, he can actually act in different roles because he's got his future secured with that one part. So there's no need to become a movie star and sell himself as a brand and play the same character in movie after movie regardless of what that movie is by pushing his brand. So I think you get better acting out of that. And I've also was arguing that the paradigm has shifted anyway where TV is now doing what movies used to do but better and movies are doing what TV used to do but better. So just like with TV shows, it used to be an actor would find that one character on a TV show that they just, you know, ride it out and then that would be their whole career for the most part. They were just known for that one part they'd get stereotyped and then they wouldn't get any other parts. So now what happens the so-called movie stars, they get that one character that they're known for. They just keep playing that character in the serialized movies. That's just how it works now. And then if you want to be the actor that goes from movie to movie, you want to be on TV. You know, you can play a Walter White in this long form novelistic TV show and then you get really famous and you can go do movies or you can go play Lyndon Johnson in a TV movie and you can do all this other stuff and you're this really respected acclaimed actor. They just serve different roles now and movie stars were never that good anyway because it was just an opportunity for a person to push a brand a personality type that they would just play over and over again. Whoa dude that was deep. I have no uh, further comment on that. Uh, next comment comes from Kyle Benning. Ka- oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a long one. Okay. Uh, Captain America has long been my uh, a close second in my favorite superhero list right after Superman. He's far and away my favorite Marvel character. I, I enjoy both publishers' rich backlog of comics, and I would consider myself more of a DC fan. It was really a conversation between myself and either Ryan Daly or David David uh, Weeder this summer that helped me realize that maybe the reason Captain America resonates so well with me is that he is really more of a DC character in origin and execution. Popping up in the Golden Age, uh, he's he's this pure, righteous, altruistic character with a long moral comp- or with a strong moral compass that always does the right thing. Uh, he really doesn't have a, any character flaws or biases that uh, blind him from making the right decision. He's a pure hero through and through. Take all that, wrap it in, in the iconography of the American flag, and you have a character that you can't help but love. Uh, it's very different to really pick out my favorite Captain America run. I echo a lot of the runs mentioned in the episode. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Wade Garney stuff. I think that book is still pretty solid uh, when Kubert came aboard for the last part of the Wade run. I also enjoyed the Jurgens run that finished up that volume. Uh, one often overlooked aspect of the Wade's run is the Sentinel series that sort of served as the Tales of Captain America series. Uh, Tales of Captain America series and jumped around in time to tell stories of Cap's past. Uh, there was a couple of really neat stories in that run. Love the Invader story that ran through the title. For me, Stern, the Stern and Burn run was pretty much perfect. That gave me everything I wanted out of the title. And it's too bad that it was cut short by Shooter's latest editorial uh, edict. I'm a fan of Inglehart's run and have enjoyed what I've read of the James Demetrius run. When I was a kid, I had sporadic issues of the run and loved what I read. I've since compiled that run and I just need to sit down and read it in its entirety now. Right up to right up there with Wade and Garney, Sturden Burns, the Kirby stuff, both in the 60s and 70s, is a blast to read. I love the Tales of Suspense stories. They are so much fun. You jump into it, just 10 pages of balls-to-the-wall action every issue. There's some, always somebody discounting Cap because he's old, who doesn't have superpowers, and the Cap whoops their ass. And then how can you not love the Mad Bomb story arc? I contend that the cover of Captain America number 193 is the single most iconic Captain America image of all time. And no other Captain America image has been merchandised as often or as wide a variety of products as that cover. 
Which cover is that? We, we probably- uh, that the, the Mad Bomb one. Kirby, I think, inked by John Romita. So it's like him over the city, like pushing the shield out. Our next comments from Siskoid. A big juicy episode that kept me entertained during the holidays. Uh, but because I listen to it in chunks, it's not easy to come up with uh, coherent comments. Just letting you know that these big omnibus shows have been excellent, and that your hard work uh, has gone has hasn't gone unnoticed. That's for you, buddy. Like, <laughs> buddy. On non-cap related content, I think you made excellent sales pitch for Marvel Unlimited. I still don't get why Marvel or why DC won't enter the 21st century on this. There's a whole bunch of things that DC won't seem to do. Hey, while I'm thinking about it, did you hear about Rebirth? About what? Did you hear about the leak on the Reddit leak of Rebirth? No. Because you don't know, have the Rebirth Zero that's going to launch the, the that big initiative of DC. So um, the whole big thing is one thing is the Wally West Flash comes back in his Kid Flash costume, which I always really liked. I love the Kid Flash suit. And uh, it's just like Final Crisis where he's warning of, you know, changes in the universe. and uh, Again. You know, yeah, all this kind of big bad stuff. But the big thing is we find out that the New 52 was created by... Any guesses? The anti-monitor. Who who is responsible for creating the new 52? Jim Lee. Grant Morrison. You're getting closer. Warren Ellis? No, not creators. You want me to tell you? Yeah. Dr. Manhattan. Oh. oh! Batman finds a uh, the button with the blood splatter on it too. The the happy face button of comedian. Oh my God! They're gonna base their universe on Alan Moore. Well, the New Fifty Two was apparently created by Doctor Manhattan. Characters owned by Alan Moore that he's had held back from him for decades. Then uh, I I understand that Mar- the DC will never allow those rights to slip, and they'll continue to have the books in print. But yeah, they're apparently merging the Watchmen into the DC universe. Oh my God! Ugh. Potential train wreck. Did how many times? How far did Snyder come when he heard that? That's going to be... See? I I looked outside, and it was like E.T. and Elliot flying across the moon. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? It's... No, it's terrible. I, I think it's fucking... Well, for starters, I, I already had trouble with before Watchmen because it was so disrespectful to the intent of the creators. But I know that Dave Gillibans liked clashing those checks, and my understanding is that Alan Moore sent him his checks as well, mm-hmm. so he would take none of that money just as a moral stand. Yeah. So they know the wishes of the creator of those characters, and the characters are just the fucking Charlton characters anyway. They own those characters. You can just do the question as Rorschach, which is what you responded to in Justice League Unlimited, then they already tried to do Captain Adam as Dr. Midnight in his own series, but those characters don't work outside of one fucking story. Yeah. When you try to take those characters and port them and do new stories with them, which is exactly what before Watchmen was about, let me tell you, the comic distributor I get my books from, ever since those books came out, they still sell them for like 30 cents a copy. They can't get rid of before Watchmen Moloch number one. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I've actually bought a few of them for 30 cents and I can't be bothered to actually read them. Oh, no, no just, I, I read cheap. the trades. Oh, yeah. They're bad. Oh, yeah, they're bad. bad. Well, I mean, the only one that most people responded to were the ones the late Darwin Cook did, uh, Minutemen, and especially Silk Spectre. See, I don't think I read that one. I, the They broke up the trades, or like these big trades where they would have four of them. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that, yeah. Well, I, I read the first issue of the Silk Spectre, again, for 30 cents. I had Amanda Palmer art. Wait, Amanda Connor art. I'm, I'm confusing the Dresden Dolls lead singer with <laughs> uh, the artist. And uh, it was a pretty good little book, and my understanding is that she contributed to the writing of the book because Darwin Quick was never been a teenage girl so he kind of needed some help with that yeah. aspect but those are the only ones that got any kind of positive critical response and I imagine people would be a lot more forgiving you know of the, that book I think people kind of held a grudge that any of those books existed where now that it's the late Darwin Cook it, he can kind of get a pass I would so imagine. I, I just have one question so Dr. Myhan created the 52 universe the new 52 yeah so I, I guess to put it in Marvel terms Dr. Manhattan was involved in an incursion that affected DC's continuity and created the 
new 52. Because right now, honestly, because of the public library, I've been reading all the, uh, I haven't read the new um, Secret Wars, but I've read all the books off of it, you know, the Battle Worlds and all right, that stuff. because it's all hidden, the uh, digital. Yeah. It, well, no, no, actually, I'm reading the trades from the library. Oh, right, okay. If I look at them almost like what ifs. So I'm reading them and I'm enjoying them a lot. I, and, and I love the fact they keep going back to the God Doom, God, and they're all scared of Doom. Like he's this big bad God in the sky that they're all scared of. And he has this army of Thors that he sends to wipe you out if you piss him off. But they broke it up. So when you read a trade, you could read it like a what if, or you can kind of fold it into the main story. Read it as a what if or fold it into my. So, so I've enjoyed quite a bit. A lot of them. They're really good. As like I said, what if stories. I still haven't read the Secret Wars. So I don't know how that, that whole story ends up. I'm just reading these because I'm enjoying them. It's really cool, fresh take on the character. So it feels almost kind of like Doom would be your Dr. Manhattan type thing. And he creates this giant new universe patchwork from all the different multi-universes. So, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. Well, and I, I you know, my, my assumption is that, because I thought the whole point of the uh, Flashpoint was that the Flash and the stuff that he was doing was what created the Flashpoint. Yeah. He was trying to save his mom and it fucked with the space-time continuum. So how does Dr. Manhattan even get involved? Did he create a situation where Dr. Manhattan was able to manipulate the DC universe after Flash punched the walls or the uh, Superboy punch? I'm almost curious. I, I want to see how this turns out, man. I'm I'm not at all curious. I, I am just so tired of DC Comics and this feels like such a desperate move by people who I think know that their jobs are on the line. Because, I mean, DC Comics isn't competitive anymore. It's not one of these situations where it used to be Marvel would sell more units but DC had some higher priced books that would sell well so they'd make it up in dollar shares. Like, DC's market position is like half of Marvel's at this point. The market isn't that great to begin with and I don't know. I'd love to see. I haven't checked to see where... Like Image or Dark Horse or IDW mm-hmm. is at relative to DC, but the fact that I can even bring them up shows you how far down DC is. And of course, the the movie division has not, you know, I, oh, that's I, taking a beating. Suicide Squad is going to make a difference. Uh, the a solo Batman movie would make a difference, but it, it, it's is it a little a too time. late? Huh? Is it a little too late? I don't, I, I'm sure the movies will turn around. I, I hopefully Wonder Woman will be a decent movie. Uh, Suicide Squad, most people think is going to be pretty awesome. So, but but the comic book side. They kind of have to get their shit together. And the current situation they've had doesn't work. And they've alienated their fans so severely, you need to have somebody come in there and just start all over again, I think. Do, do you mind talking about Jeff Johns real quick? Yeah. Well, because you were bringing him up before. I did. Don't worry about him being like making him. Uh, yeah. He's, and I, he's, he's, he's part of the, the bureaucracy of the movie DC universe. Films. Yeah. yeah. Basically, it sounded to me like all they really did was just promote everybody that was already involved with these movies to a different title. It sounds like it just looks like it's all smoke and mirrors to me. And plus, uh, people who were jizzing all over themselves like, oh, good, they're going to have a comic guy in there to make sure. Dude, Jeff Johns was one of the, wasn't he like an executive producer for Green Lantern? Oh, yeah, he had everything. Oh, no, he was on Superman, yeah. Up, I think. yeah. And I, I think people have just completely forgotten that. And, and I, because I was trying to search, somebody mentioned something about Green Lantern, and I was like, did Jeff Johns really do Green Lantern? The Green Lantern movie? And I searched, and I found a freaking video of him, like, Defending the shit out of that movie, like they wanted at a Comic Con. Like they were like, "Hey man, what the fuck happened with Green Lantern?" He was like, "What are you talking about? I I got a friend whose kid says it's a favorite movie. Kids want, want they like Green Lantern. They want to see like almost trying to justify, yeah. you know, a, a Green Lantern two. And I'm like, dude, this oh wow. Do people realize that? Yeah, sure, he's a comic guy and he's wrote some nice comic books, but that don't mean any good at movies. Mm. What made him popular in the first place was his fidelity 
to old comics. Yeah, I was going to say, the whole Green Lantern universe that he written is based off of one Alan Moore, seven, eight-page comic. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, but like beyond Green Lantern, though, his Flash run was taking the old rogues, yeah. making them valid in modern times by d- darkening them up and giving them richer backstories, and that leads into things like Legends of Tomorrow, because he's the guy who built up Captain Cold into a less-degree heat wave. It's not very good. I, I, okay, look, I watch any comic book TV show to support it. But you and, have a, and I, and I have a pecking order. I have a pecking order that I follow. Now, Flash is on the top of my pecking order. It's a very good show, well written, well acted. It's followed by me. Yeah, by, by the way, CBR recently did a poll of who, what's your favorite comic book, DC Comics TV show character. And The Flash was so far out in, at number one that nobody ever came remotely close to touching him. So that shows how elevated that is. There's still, there's still people complaining that he's not the movie Flash. I mean, and I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about like regular internet people. I'm talking about like his co-stars and other actors and stuff like I, it, the, it's, it's a mistake that Zack Snyder isn't using Grant yeah. Gustin. Oh no, he's, he's a great actor. I mean, he pulls it off. I feel like he's Barry. So then I watch The Flash. I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I watch Gotham. I watch what's next? Uh, Arrow? Arrow? I haven't watched Arrow. Arrow? That's not really. It, uh, it's, it, I, I watched season one and two and it was okay and then it just went into this really weird fucking direction. Legends of Tomorrow is interesting. You watch Supergirl, though. I caught a first few episodes because liar, Frank. Sir. No. Yes, I watched the first couple because Frank challenged me and I just couldn't get into it. It just feels like a cheaper version of the other shows. Like, I just watched the uh, season ender. I, I remember I remember I called you, Frank, and I said, hey, if you were to do this to Vandal Savage, would he die? Like, I needed to know because the way they portrayed him in the, in the show. But again, this is, what, was, this is why I hate time travel shows because they always go back and just reset the clock or redo something. They got rid of a character. I won't say who, but he's not coming back to the show. And it's just, it's just a really, it felt like Quantum Leap, kind of, or jumping all over time, and they're doing this, and you have Time Masters, and... Well, my understanding, and you, you touched on that, was that the series invalidates itself. Kind of. It's like you watch an entire season, and by the end of it, nothing actually changed, for the most part. Nothing that they did really mattered, for the most part. And one thing about this, when the, when the episode, when the episode of the final episode of the season ended, I was kind of like, huh, okay, so I could have just waited and binged on this, and probably taken a nap through halfway the season. I've been okay. So, I mean, it's okay. It's not great. I just had heard it. Like, I, I'm aware that it is currently on television, but I hear nothing about that show. And it looks- I heard a lot of excitement before it came out, and then after it came out, even the DC faithful I hear are just sort of like, eh, what's going on here? This isn't really what we there signed up for. X Files came out, the new X Files show. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Everybody was so excited. Over, and I was like, huh. I didn't see like a single post in like, my Facebook feed. Never saw anything about it on Twitter. I binged on it. Um,. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're going to come out with another season, from what I understand. Really? The ratings were excellent. They had wonderful, like, ma- massive ratings. But everybody I heard that actually watched it just fucking loathed it. And they now think that Chris Carter, who was playing around with all that conspiracy, alien myth yeah. kind of shit, that he actually buys into that shit now. And that he's one of those crazy, like, anti vaxxer type people. And so they're like, wait, you know, this isn't what we signed up for. We don't, th- we, we, we like X Files. We like these characters. We're not actually subscribing to these bullshit theories and it seems like the new version of the show was about pushing prison planet notions on people I didn't know that yeah so a lot of people don't seem to Instead care for it some whack uh, sci-fi law and order yeah I mean that, that's what I like is they, 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 X-Files was more like Supernatural and oh that show's great still dude yeah. <laughs> after fucking 12 seasons and now they're, they're it's becoming tinfoil hat people so. hmm. by the way Gotham is pretty good still I hear mixed things on that but uh, you seem to be a proponent so. it's a what if okay oh, well. next comment comes from Jim Steranko oh 
My thanks. And can we give it, well, you know, the Fire and Water podcast, they've got the whole thing where Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. We got a fucking comment from Jim Steranko. We have to come up with something comparable to that. Steranko, praise. I mean, I ate that, right? Yeah, well, not exactly, but we got to do something close. Go at the same time, go. It's like God touched us, man. Yeah, let's also shout Jim Steranko. Jim Steranko! Well, hold on. One, two, three. Jim Steranko! My thanks to Frank for referencing the spirit of America. My top take on pop culture's foremost super patriot. Cap forever. Then Randy Caldwell said, I think my first, uh, Cap. Randy Caldwell said, I think my first Captain America exposure was in Steranko's Sentinel, Sentinel of Liberty. We've all met Jim Steranko. Yeah. Coolest dude. Super dope. So nice. Uh, the Magic Man. Comment comes from King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast. He drew a book I think called Magic Man, if I remember correctly. <laughs> For Harvey, are you franking me right now? Really? I, yeah, In mid conversation? I just. Well, oh my god! Did he just yeah. whipped it out and just start franking yeah, like you, crazy? Well, you, I think you were quoting like Hart, but seriously, I, he, no, I think I got started. He did a magic trick for us. Oh, at the man. table. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, I thought his whole his big thing was being an escape artist, but I guess he picked up some magic tricks along the way too. I'm trying to escape from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, Kyle Benning said on our Deadpool podcast, about time you guys got out of, about time you guys got out, out something new. Was beginning to think Frank was the only one still alive. <laughs> I wonder what he thinks mm. now. All right. Fake Facebook likes Michael Wagner, Brian Daly, and Keith G. Baker. WordPress blog follows The Way of the Cat. WordPress blog like Kevin Deji. Is it Daji? Deji? It's me. None of these, these folks ever like chime in with, with the exception of uh, Sean McLaughlin. Nobody's ever chimed in to correct us on a pronunciation. So I just go with whatever. Yeah. Sounds good. Hashtag follow Friday. Adam Blackmoon. Film and Water podcast. Silver and Gold podcast. And Zeno's. Zoic Xenophiles. Retweets. Hey, you got through it better than Rob did. Yeah. Uh, retweets. Ange, Chael Montgomery, Film and Water Podcast, Firestorm Fan, History Author Show, It's Plastic Man. What is that one? The I Randomitable? I think so, yeah. The Randomitable. Siskoid. Twitter Favorites. Adam Blackmoon. Anthony Miyazaki. Birds of Prey Podcast. The Brookens Family. Charlton Hero. David Golding Artist. Hawkeye. Carl Disley. Lucas J. Roback. Matij Silvar. Is that Sliver? No, Matij Sliver. Sliver, the Dude. I and the L keep jumping around on me. Nathaniel Wayne, Party Roll Podcast, Power of Fishnets, Ryan Daly, Satanic Hell, Stephen Whistler, Witty White Cell. Say that ten times fast. Rin. <laughs> and finally our Marty Mama The 108th Sage, Captain Marvel, Chris Sheenan, Coffee and Comics Blob, Comic Reflections, Darren and Ruth Sutherland. David Fior, Dr. G, Nerdologist, FKA Jason, The Hammer Strikes, Hollows with the Z, The Ice Age, The Illegal Formation Podcast, Jake and Tom Conquer, Joseph Crawford, Keith G. Baker, Kevin Dodgy, Deji, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast, Michael Wagner, Monsters and Mystics, Odell, Abner, Dracula. Oscar Blue Devil, the Park Fanatic Podcast, Pietro Blacksamoff, my favorite Twitter handle on the internet, yeah. uh, Randy Caldwell, Silver and Gold Podcast, Sin, Trucker Talk, Wallace Wood, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. The Marvel Superheroes Podcast is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against their copyright holders. Views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker.
Did you say she was a black magic woman? <laughs> nice work there. You know, that would be a good business model for heavy metal to do what, what Marvel does well, you there. You can't crack that open you want. But that would be kind of that would be kind of a cool business model for them to re release all these online like that. Shit, I would read them all. I used to love this book. Heavy metal, you mean? Yeah. You said I wish DC would. I probably would read more DC books if I could read them on. You know, Graham Morrison took over as editor in chief of Heavy Metal and is redesigning the magazine. Whoa, really? Uh, he, they're putting them out. I think they're like more like the European volumes. Yeah, where they're like ten or fifteen bucks an issue, but they're like cardstock or hardcover. And he's writing for the book and he's when, editing. When the does series. that start? Or it's I started. think it's already started. Yeah, I'm gonna have to pick one up because Heavy Metal used to be really good, and then when Eastman bought it, he started doing this crap where he just took a bunch of European story bar- story arcs and just chunked them all in there, and it. Just kind of, oh man, this has a dense story in it too. I have to borrow this one from you. Anything else? Lilith. Yeah. Yeah, she's a whole different deal. Whole other deal. Whole other deal. No relation. That's supposed to be the mother of all vampires, right? It depends on which version of the story okay. here. That, that is actually part of uh, Jewish I, lore, so like she, she's not just a comic book character. <laughs> Wait, he was talking about Lilith. It's a whole different character. Let's not even go there. <laughs> yeah, Lilith is actually from Jewish lore. I think it's Talmudic. You're going to get Frank. I just got like a whole other level Frank. Now you're going to be religiously Frank. <laughs> I, I don't think that's kosher. Ooh, that's not what yeah, I was about to say. O- only if we got a hole in a sheet first. So. Oh. <laughs> no, uh, my, uh, that's not I, a dreidel you're playing with. <laughs> Please give me a little bit more credit than a dreidel. <laughs> it's like, although I do have a spin move. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so bad. I'm so, so are you saying it's a narrow stick with a bulb, bulb, bulb at the end? Is that what you're, you know, a short see. narrow stick with a bulb at the end? I've seen a dreidel once. <laughs> that doesn't sound like describing it correctly. Dreidel, I made it out of clay. Wait, wait, you got to, <laughs> you have to do the Arnold voice. You never saw the critic where uh, Arnold, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. dreidel, dreidel. Oh my God. <laughs> Going old school. I, I'm pretty confident that if they're not from a certain age, they're not going to know what the fuck that is. It, it, it was it was one of Fox's many attempts to get another animated series as successful as The Simpsons. Yep. With the closest they ever came was King of the Hill, I think. Although the anime- or no Family Guy, obviously yeah. Family Guy. No King of the Hill too. Hmm? Yeah. But it predates Family Guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. well before yeah, because uh, John Levitt started it and then they didn't want to pay him, so he's he's basically a, a critic at large where he hates all movies and then his own life is terrible. And that, and he works for Ted Turner, and the joke is that he's miserable. And that's one of the reasons why he's so harsh on all the movies. That's when they were trying all the all these different broadcast or uh, network broadcasts were trying to come up with adult cartoons. Because I remember Duckman, which I own. Oh yeah, Jason Alexander did that, right? Yeah, I have the first four seasons. Yeah, I love that show, man. I have the I have four seasons right there behind you. So that, clear- show, that show got really weird. Yeah, near the end. It went to a strange, strange place near the end. It might well be. There's only so much demand for Duckman to begin with. Well, somebody would try to rehash it or something. I'm saying. I don't know how I'm going to rehash it. I mean, they're they're doing Lethal Weapon, the TV show. It seems like they're starting to reach out in the past. Dude, and Netflix has a new original Danger Mouse. Oh, yeah, Voltron, too. That's pretty freaking niche. Voltron's coming out. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, hey, I- so are you sure that War- or the uh, Grant Morrison stuff's already come out for uh, Heavy Metal? I would really want to read that. Let me put it this way. I believe it's been solicited. I'm not sure if okay. it's been released. I actually want to see what a, a new issue of Playboy looks like. The now non-nude. Just how they had the new... That was weird. 
They should have gone non-nude like a long time ago. It makes so much... At first I was like, what the hell? And I was like, oh wait, because nobody on earth would buy Playboy for nudity. Yeah, it was so tame. Just make... Well, no, because I just saw on uh, some show and they had the first new Playmate for the magazine. And she's like, oh, the photos look great. And it looked like a Maximum magazine photo shoot. That's all it was. Or Maximum or FHM. You mean Maximum? Was it Maximum? I don't... Do, do they, they don't make it anymore, do they, that magazine? No, it's still out. It's still on really? the even. Yeah. They, it's a it's a poor man's Esquire now, though. Esquire's still out? Yeah, they still make Esquire, too. But, but it's, yeah, it, it's like Esquire if they didn't have, if they had a fraction of the advertising revenue. So it's really thin and it's very upscale. It's a lot of trying to sell boys' toys. A lot of guys in shoot, a lot of metrosexuals in suits, even though we don't use that term anymore. What and, about, and the what about Esquire? Are, What's Esquire like? Is it still like it's Esquire? It's exactly the same, except they have better advertising revenue. So they're a fatter magazine. I haven't read any of these magazines like forever. Yeah, well, Maxim sucks. I was well, with it. Yeah, I remember you gave me a whole, bunch of The whole point of Maxim was it was the Wizard Magazine of Lad Mags. Uh, and, and, you know, it really brought Lad, Mad cult, Lad Mag culture to the United States because they've been doing that stuff in England for a long time. Yeah. So the Americanized version of that was basically Wizard Magazine with tits, actual ones instead of the drawn ones. But, uh, and yeah, now Maxim's still in the stands, but I don't under, I don't know why anybody would still read it because the assumption is the, the people who story. used to read Maxim go to like the Chive now, you know, or they, they get all, there's all these internet places. So I guess that Esquire men will still buy. By the way, did you know Rob Kelly uh, created that image? Kelly? Yeah, Aquaman Shrine Rob Kelly, he created that image. Basically, the site stole it, uh, and he, he, he was never able to get any kind of money out of it. Uh, and they put that on shirts and all kinds of shit. They, they stole it from him, and he, he gets nothing for that. No, no. He, he, what he does, he'll, he'll do these likenesses of, of famous people using, like, colored, like, elements, like, solid colors and stuff. Sort of. Yeah, or, well, it's multichromatic, but it's, like, blocks. It's multi-chromatic, but it's, it's Let's call it low res, we'll say like origami-ish looking things so anyway he used to do that for magazines that, that was his work is he 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 created artwork for interviews and he'd do like pictures of, of the interview no, subjects that form so so yeah so he, he did that one for bill murray and the chive stole it and they've put it all over the fucking internet so and they've got and uh, he makes nothing off of that and for yeah I, I guess they told him it'd be too hard to pursue or he can't lawyer up enough to do anything about it so they just they fucking stole it from him wow yeah, that totally sucks. Rob Kelly. Mm. Same thing happened to the guy got the chain bomb. Yeah. Or oh yeah, I just steal that from someone. No, like, he took it from a photo. Right, right. He said he said he had the produced it. Like, Where's my phone? Yeah. Oh, that might be what it is too. Is that they think that he might have based the art on a photo. That's what it had. And so been. even though it's his image that's all over the place, not the photo, but he can't get any money because he doesn't have the copyright to the the basic image. Yeah. So yeah, it's bullshit. That sucks. A, a Bob Dylan. Yeah, we're still recording. But yeah, no, I, I knew that your recording levels were low, but I didn't realize what it was. Is because uh, you saw like there, that one of the knobs on here has gotten twitchy. I think from all the you know going from place to place. Uh huh. And so uh, your knob just something was kicking on your knob, and it just like the entire mail segment. We were picking you up on our mics. You weren't on your mic at all. Something was kicking on my knob. <laughs> Sounds I didn't intend that to come out that way. Extremely erotic. <laughs> <laughs> okay.